Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. On average, human beings spend about one-third of their lives sleeping. That's a lot of time. And over the years, many have questioned whether we actually need to sleep that much. The inventor Thomas Edison was one of the most famous enemies of sleep, and he thought it was a waste of time. He claimed to have slept no more than four hours per day. However, sleep is an important body function, and when we don't get enough sleep, we tend to suffer, and it turns out that our sex lives tend to suffer along with it. That's what we're going to be talking about today, the connection between sleep and sex. Specifically, we're going to explore how sleep quantity and quality impact us sexually, as well as how sex and masturbation can affect whether or not we get a good night of sleep. We're also going to consider the role of orgasm in facilitating sleep, why we experience penile and clitoral erections during sleep, and tips for getting better sleep and having better sex. I am joined by Dr. Michele Lestella, a senior lecturer at Central Queensland University and a global leader in sleep research in athletes. He has 70 peer-reviewed publications related to sleep, sports psychology, psychological well-being, and more. Dr. Lestella brings experience from both an athlete's perspective as well as a researcher's perspective. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. The Kinsey Institute at Indiana University has been investigating issues of sex, gender, and relationships for 75 years. To commemorate the Institute's 75th anniversary, they will be hosting events all throughout the year, including art exhibitions, research lectures, a book club, dance performances, and much more. Visit their website at kinseyinstitute.org or follow them on social media for the latest details. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Kinsey Institute. Hi, Michele, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Hey, Justin. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to speak with you. I've been wanting to cover sex and sleep on the podcast for a long time. And in looking for folks who have studied in this area, you seemed like the perfect fit. So it's really great to have you here to talk about this really important topic. But before we dive into sex and sleep, let me just ask the broader question of what drew you to sleep research in the first place? How did this become one of your main research areas? I think going through as an undergraduate in psychology, there was always uh, an interest in sleep and some of the courses that we did going through, there was a quite a big component of, of sleep because we had a, a Centre for Sleep Research at the University of South Australia at the time. So there was a big sleep lab within the university. So naturally, I just got drawn into uh, some sleep research and there was various projects looking at sleep and recovery, sleep extension, sleeping athletes. So I kind of was drawn into the whole athlete and recovery side of things. And then how did you start to incorporate sex into sleep? What was the inspiration for wanting to look at that? I think one day I was, I was coming up with new ideas because obviously when you work in, in the realm of sleep, there's a lot of people have done a lot of things in terms of sleep and fatigue, aviation, rail industry, all those sorts of things, but no one had really touched sex. And I think it's because it's a taboo. And I thought we need to really break down this taboo about sex and sleep because we all do it. You know, we're made that way. So I just feel like we need 
like a non-pharmacological way of, of helping people sleep. And I don't think that's one of the things that's addressed in the literature, in medical um, courses or anything like that. So I thought it was really important that we, we start to, to dabble in that. Yeah. And I talk a lot about the benefits of sex and also things that can make sex better or worse. And sleep I know is related to sex in so many important ways, but it doesn't often come up in part because there just isn't a lot of work out there on the topic. So I'm glad you're here and studying this. So let's talk about sex and sleep. I think there are so many interesting things worth exploring here, but let's start with the topic of how sex itself affects sleep. And I ask this because I've received a lot of questions from people over the years regarding why they feel sleepy after they have sex, which would suggest that sex itself promotes sleep. So why is that? Why do people often feel tired or sleepy after sex? It's interesting because one of the... One of the other reasons why I started this this research is because people are asking that question as a as a sleep researcher, and then there was a, a questions you know there was a discrepancy between you know males and females asking me that same question. So why does my husband fall asleep straight away, and why I can't I get to sleep straight away? And I found that very interesting, and and I started to do a bit of research on it, and and looking at the discrepancy between the time it takes, you know, males to orgasm compared to females. And I thought there has to be an element of, of orgasm there. And I thought, you know what, I need to start researching this. So the first actual study we did was a perceptions study because I feel like perceptions are really important and relatively easy to ask somebody. And, yeah, so that was one of the reasons is that discrepancy between males and females. So... In terms of you know, how sex helps us sleep, well, you think about after you have sex and if you end in orgasm, it's obviously a lot better. So the orgasm itself, from some of the research I've had a look at, is there's a release of a cocktail of different hormones, namely oxytocin, prolactin. There's a reduction in cortisol, so that stress hormone. So we know that when you're stressed, we can't sleep. We know when you're relaxed, you're more likely to fall asleep or your sleep latency. So that's the time it takes you to fall asleep. So looking at all those different hormones and some of the literature, it shows that those, I guess that cocktail of release, you know, provides that kind of reduction in sleep latency. So it enables us to relax and fall asleep faster. But there is, from our study, there is a bit of a, a discrepancy between orgasm and, and no orgasm. So Obviously, the orgasm is key there, and we did find no gender differences when orgasm was involved. So I found that very interesting. It kind of supports what what we hypothesized, but now we need to start looking at more objective ways of, of measuring it, and I think that's something that we're targeting. It's just a lot harder to do in a sleep lab versus in someone's home or in, on a questionnaire or survey. I'm glad you brought up the part about the neurochemical cocktail that is released when we have an orgasm that could be part of why sex might make us sleepy but i think there's also an element of physical exertion that might make sex lead us to be tired right because many of us might work up a sweat it's it's physical activity sex is a form of exercise and particularly if you're spending a long time on it if your heart rate is really getting going then you know it sort of makes sense that sleep might follow and then also 
confounded with this is the fact that a lot of people will have sex is the last thing at the end of the day right before bed. So they're probably already a little tired to begin with. So I think it's some mix of, yes, there are things that happen during orgasm, but it's also confounded with time of day and physical exertion, which kind of makes it hard to separate out a lot of these different effects. Yeah, absolutely perfect. And the other thing to consider is the thermoregulatory effects. Obviously, if you're heating up, it's the rate that you're cooling down will also have an impact on, 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 on sleep onset. So yeah, like you said, there's not just one thing. It's, it's the combination actually could almost be perfect in that, in that sense. And when it is, then you find yourself having a really good night's sleep. And so as you found in your research, for people who had sex before they went to sleep, they said that they got better quality sleep and they also fell asleep faster. So it affects both sleep latency which is how long it takes to fall asleep, and then also the quality of the sleep. Again, this is in terms of self-perception. You might want some objective measurements to kind of back that up. But I think another important question related to this is, what about masturbation? So I know that that was something you also looked at in your sleep. So does masturbation affect sleep the same way that sex does, or is there a difference? The masturbation data was actually very, very similar to the sex with an orgasm data. So as long as the masturbation ended in an orgasm, then it, it was actually followed a similar pattern. So um, when masturbation didn't end in an orgasm, then obviously there was a reduction. So it, it followed a very, very similar. There was just not like the percentage of participants was maybe a 10% reduction on, on that, those respondents. So it still followed the same pattern. Um, and particularly, I think there was not, I can't remember the exact percentage, but for females, it was slightly higher. So I think that was a, an important observation that we found there. Yeah, it was so interesting to look at that data. It did seem like overall sex seemed to be related more to having better quality sleep than masturbation was but there was that gender difference when you're talking about sex and wasn't present when you're talking about masturbation and i think you're so right that this can largely be explained by the orgasm gap we know that heterosexual women on average reach orgasm less consistently less frequently than heterosexual men and so if part of the link between sex and sleep is orgasm causing the release of these hormones and neurotransmitters. Well, if women are less likely to experience orgasm, or we're talking about heterosexual women specifically, then they're going to be less likely to fall asleep right after sex and to have that better quality sleep and fall asleep sooner. So maybe I think one of the takeaways from here is that if we can close the orgasm gap, we can help women to get better sleep, right? 100%. I think, I think that's very, very important. It, it was about like substituting screen time for playtime, right? Um, but it also was about trying to objectively, in, in a sense, bridge that, bridge that gap or, or break down that kind of association between my husband falls asleep, I can't fall asleep or things like that. So I guess the message is pay attention, you know, particularly to, to, to the males, pay, pay attention and, and yeah, don't be selfish. Yes, don't be selfish is a good lesson for people in the bedroom. Now, I, it would also be interesting to see a study that looked at people based on sexual orientation, because I would imagine, you know, we know that in same-sex relationships, there are more similar rates of orgasm. It's really in the heterosexual or mixed-sex 
relationships where we tend to see that orgasmic discrepancy. So I would imagine you're probably going to have fewer conflicts about my partner falls asleep before I do after sex or something in a same sex versus heterosexual context. So the respondents weren't that high, but it was 11%. So um, I think that's something we can actually target. The problem with, with research is when you have so few participants, as you would know, you don't have, you can't generate the power to, to perform some statistical analysis. So I think now we should be able, we most definitely could get a good sample size and, and I think we should start to push for that, definitely. I agree. So in your research, you found that people were far more likely to say that sex and masturbation improves the quality of the sleep they get and how quickly they fall asleep than those who said it has the opposite effect. And as I mentioned, it seems like sleep was a little bit more powerful than masturbation in terms of promoting these effects, which particularly when orgasm happens, but I think that speaks to the fact that there is a, probably a bit more physical exertion that is tiring people when they're having sex. But there's a substantial number of people who say it doesn't affect their sleep one way or the other. And then there's this small minority who say that sex or masturbation, that it worsens sleep for them or makes it harder to fall asleep. And that's a number that's in the low single digits. So it's not a lot of people who experience this. But I'm curious as to whether you have any thoughts on why that is. So for some people, why might sex or masturbation make it harder to fall asleep? I've had a couple of people actually come up to me after some of the press releases and say, well, I find it, I find it the opposite. I'm kind of hyper hyperactive so and i looked at the data and it was it was only 2.6 percent of the participants so out of a 778 so i was kind of comfortable in that we're trying to get majority right but i don't actually know why some people have that kind of hyper activity or there's no way they can they can get to sleep and it makes me question whether or not these people in general have difficulty initiating sleep so I don't actually have the answer for that. The fact that the main the main objective was to prove sex didn't worsen your sleep. So if we consider that, I think it was 28% of people who said doesn't doesn't matter either way, uh, I was comfortable in that and I could still argue, well, sex has all these other benefits. So for that, you know, 3%, I was I was a little bit stuck if I if I'm honest, Justin. So it, it it does require more investigating, but I don't know how much I will spend on the 3% versus the 97% of, you know, stays the same or improves sleep. I'd rather focus on the mechanisms, how it improves sleep. And because, you know, this these days we just give a pill for people, you know, we give melatonin for people to fall asleep. There's all these, these medicines to, to try and, you know, the one pill fixes everything, but, I like to have that behavioral approach to improving sleep and, and that's kind of the objective of this research is, is if we can reduce at least one pill people are taking um, for sleep, maybe you know it, it's, it's providing that better alternative plus the benefits of sex outside of the sleep element. But yeah, I think that's important is having that behavioral approach to, to improving something as opposed to just popping a pill. 
I think you make a really important point that for that small percentage of people who say that sex worsens their sleep or that masturbation worsens sleep, it could be that they already have other existing sleep-related disorders. And so it might not actually be about the sex or the masturbation. So it would require some further investigation to figure out what's going on there. But it could also be, you know, the social psychologist in me is thinking maybe these are folks who have a fraught relationship with sex. Maybe they're in a dissatisfying sexual relationship or they have sexual difficulties. And so sex becomes this big source of anxiety, in which case having sex could, instead of causing stress relief, cause heightened stress. And so maybe that for some people makes it harder to sleep. Or maybe if you just happen to have a bad sexual experience or you experience pain during sex. We know that some people experience that frequently, and in particular, a lot of women do. So it could be related to some of these other mechanisms. And so I, I think you're right that for the vast majority of people, it seems like sex either promotes sleep or it doesn't have an effect. It's a small number who, you know, it seems to worsen sleep, but there's a lot that we would have to parse out there before I think you could give any concrete advice to those individuals. Yeah. It's funny you're saying when people have that experience with, with sex and they have a heightened kind of anxiety related to some people, insomniacs, for example, have the same situation with their with their bed or their bedroom. So going into that environment, all of a sudden there's a there's a stress that I have to sleep now and I'm not gonna you know, I'm not gonna be able to go to sleep and they're gonna ruminate and so um I think yes yeah, it's, it's an important uh, it's amazing how much sex and sleep have a little bit in common too. Right. And I'm also thinking now about, well, is this sex with a casual partner or somebody in a committed relationship? And if you've got like, say, the feelings of security and comfort in that committed relationship, again, you can see how sex might promote or facilitate sleep. But if it's with a partner that you don't know very well, it might not feel safe to fall asleep because there's a certain vulnerability in that. So now I'm just, my mind is going in so many directions and I'm thinking there's a ton of studies you could look at here. You just reminded me of a, of a study we, we just published um, looking at chronotype matching so and, and, and relationships. So we looked at regular partner and casual partner, I think it was, and looking at chronotype matching. So if you're a morning type and you're with a, a morning type, you're more likely to have a sleep schedule that's the same. So you're more likely to engage in, in sex more frequently because you're on the same level. But if you're an evening type and a morning type and you're on different schedules and you cross paths, it's not that, it's, it's the whole other element there, but uh, it's, it's important nonetheless. I mean, it's okay because the majority of people fall in the intermittent. 75% of the population fall within that kind of, you know, neither type, let's say. So it's not... Not horrible, but it's just an important point that you, you made me think about in terms of chronotype matching and, and relationship status as well. Totally. I think that's a really important point in terms of just general compatibility and sexual compatibility. If you and your partner have totally different sleep schedules or tendencies when it comes towards sleep, you know, <laughs> I think this whole discussion suggests that you might experience certain issues in the relationship because of that. So, Sex can make us feel sleepy and might even help us sleep better. But we know that this link between sex and sleep is bi-directional. So sleep itself is also going to affect 
sex. So let's say you experience a temporary disruption in your sleep schedule. Maybe it's a hectic time of the school year, or you're extra busy with work, or maybe you have a new infant at home. So when you aren't getting your normal amount of sleep, how is this likely to impact something like, say, your level of interest in sex or your sexual performance or satisfaction? I think it's funny because being like looking from a sleep perspective, I always say that sleep is the foundation of health, right? So if you're not sleeping, if you're not sleeping well or you're not getting enough sleep, then all the other factors in your life are going to have an impact. And anyone that hasn't had a good night's sleep or is sleep deprived will tell you that everything in their life is affected or any stress or negative emotions I have, they can become exacerbated. So I think that in itself will naturally affect your, your sexual drive. But also there was a study done, I think by David Comeback, uh, I think it was actually not, not relatively old, I think 2015, and, and they, his colleagues, um, they investigated women whether or not how much sleep they got. And they found that sleep length was associated with sexual desire the next day. So I think it was 14% more likely to engage in sexual activity per hour extra they slept. So that study in itself is saying that the, the more sleep you have, the more sexual desire or sexual drive you have, or the more likely you're to engage in sexual activity the next day. So this was only a, a female study, which I don't know why it was only females, but I'm curious to know. If there's anything to take out of that is let your partner sleep. Make sure your partner's getting a, a good amount of sleep. Make sure you're getting good sleep. Make sure your partner's getting a good amount of sleep. And everything else in your life should be at least a little bit better, including your sex, obviously. So I need you to come over and tell my partner to stop waking me up so damn early. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the lesson here is if you want more sex, part of that might be getting more sleep. I know for me personally, like, I'm not a good person when I'm sleep deprived in any stretch of the imagination. Life is harder across the board. It's harder to do work. It is harder to be nice and kind. It is harder to do a lot of things. And that also includes feel desire for sex and just be a good partner. So yeah, sleep I think is so crucial. And I think this is actually a big part of the reason why a lot of new parents will experience sexual and other relationship difficulties when kids enter the picture is because there are huge sleep disruptions and often they affect one partner in a heterosexual relationship, usually the mother more than the father. They will usually you know, have that effect of disproportionately impacting one person more than the other. And that's going to get everybody out of sync, create more conflict. So I think sleep and sleep disruptions are a big part of that transition to parenthood issue. But let's say that you have more than a temporary disruption to your sleep schedule. So let's yeah. say you have a sleeping disorder such as insomnia, or you have sleep apnea that causes you to repeatedly wake up during the night. What happens when you have a chronic sleep issue? How does that affect your sexual health and function? For one, if you have a chronic sleep disorder, you need to try and address it as soon as possible. So for insomnia, for example, I think that requires quite a bit of investigation and getting to the root cause as well as, you know, maybe engaging in some kind of sexual activity before sleep and seeing if that improves. But like you mentioned about the environment as well, like your bed, it can cause a bit of, like it can cause stress for insomniac. So then they're obviously trying to go to bed. So 
I think one thing within insomniacs is what they do is actually try and deprive people of sleep on purpose. So instead of trying to get them to bed at 10 p.m., you're actually delaying their bedtime to like 2, 3 a.m. and depriving them consistently. So the minute they go to bed, they're actually that exhausted that they're more likely to fall asleep. And then you do that over a period of time. In terms of sleep apnea and and, and sexual function, I think there's been a lot, quite a bit of research on, on sleep and, and sexual dysfunction or erectile dysfunction and things like that. I'm not overly familiar with it, but I do know there is a strong link. And if you have sleep apnea, I would strongly recommend going in to get a sleep study done and find out whether how severe the apnea is. And there are definitely different solutions to it. So there's various things to do. So I do know that, I will say that if you're not sleeping well, you know, your sexual health will suffer, definitely. So you need to try and get to those, the root of those problems in order to maybe improve your, your sex, sexual health. And that's consistent with the research I've seen that people who have these chronic sleeping disorders have more sexual difficulties kind of across the board because that can impair or impact your interest in sex, your ability to become aroused, to maintain arousal. And it has these effects in persons across genders. Sex and sleep are very intimately interconnected. And when you have a big disruption to one of these areas, it can have these huge spillover effects into the other. And so, you know, all of this is to say that sometimes sexual difficulties or dysfunctions can potentially be a warning sign of a problematic sleep pattern or a sleeping disorder, which means that part of sex therapy sometimes is sleep therapy, if that is the root cause of it. So it's so important when you're getting a medical evaluation for something like a sexual problem to figure out the root cause and sleep is something that could be a contributor to it if you have one of these very negatively impactful sleeping disorders if you think about it if you're struggling on a sexual level you're struggling with your sleep then naturally that is going to impact a lot of other things in, on a, at a psychological level. So I think it's, yeah, I think getting to the root cause or trying to address these sorts of issues in a holistic manner is very, very important. Yes. <laughs> Sex therapy is always about taking things in a holistic manner. I very much consider myself to be a biopsychosocial theorist where you have to consider the biological factors, your overall health status, your sleep your substance use, and then you've got to consider the psychological factors, your personality, attachment style, and so forth. And then the social environmental factors, the relational context that you're in. And, you know, when it comes to something like how sex affects sleep, your specific sleeping circumstances could also be important there. Let's say you have a partner who snores really loudly and that is impairing your sleep, or they are somebody who kicks in their sleep or just otherwise disrupts your own sleep, right? That is something that can be a major issue within a relationship. And it's part of the reason why there's a trend for a lot of people these days in relationships to actually sleep in different beds in different bedrooms so that they get better quality sleep because that's how they can be a better partner to each other so i'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that one thing that came to my mind as you were talking about that is i've actually i want to investigate the theory about obviously separate beds right as well as staying in the bed longer so let's say on on a 
weekends where naturally I think we can, depending on your circumstance or your work or your kids or anything like that, but the longer you stay in bed together, the more likely you are to engage in some sort of uh, sexual activity that, that morning or something like that. So I, I, when you were mentioning the separate beds, I'd love to do an investigation, hopefully like a longitudinal one, where you're, you're getting people in separate beds because this happens now, which is nothing wrong with that. Um, and then people obviously in the same bed, but staying in the bed for longer. I'm very, very curious to know um, what those results would, would show. I think that's an important point because, yes, when you're sleeping in different beds, that might help you get better sleep individually. Maybe you can be kinder, better partners to each other. But if you're taking away something that is a primary opportunity for intimacy physically to emerge, then you got to make up for that in some way and kind of go out of your way to ensure you're still getting the physical touch and other things. So, yeah, I'd be curious to know how different people tend to manage or navigate that. So something that I find always comes up when I talk about sex and sleep is this question of why penile erections occur when people sleep. Now, my understanding is that if you have a penis and everything is functioning as it should be, you'll get four to five erections during a full night of sleep as you enter certain phases of the sleep cycle. And fun fact, if you have a clitoris, you'll experience clitoral erections <laughs> at roughly the same frequency, four to five during the night. So this isn't just limited to the penis. We're talking about erectile tissue and the genitals more broadly. But this is the reason why people often wake up with morning wood, right? If your alarm, say, happens to go off during one of these erectile phases, well, you're going to wake up with an erection. So the question I often get is, why does this happen? Why do we get erections during sleep? And I've heard a few different schools of thought on this, but I'm curious as to whether or not you as a sleep researcher have a take on it. It's definitely not because you're having an erotic dream, but it is definitely related to your dreaming stage. So obviously for the audience out there, we go through sleep cycles and they're approximately 90 to 120 minutes long. And the main, the main stage associated with dreaming is called REM, so rapid eye movement. So if you look at the, the brain waves, the, old, the eyes are, as, are rolling. So that's how we determine if you're in a dreaming stage. And what that found with erections and vaginal blood flow is that that typically is heightened or you know, increases during your dreaming stage. So... They actually have done some studies, both on men and women, looking at the timing of, of the erection, and that basically it's almost perfectly matched with your dreaming stage. So I think one study found that 85-minute intervals, the, the men were getting uh, erections. So you could match, if you ever look at a sleep cycle, you'll see the different stages of, of sleep, and they match the erections with uh your REM your REM stage or your dreaming stage. So yeah, I found that quite quite interesting when I when I when I went to have a look at it. And yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. So as many cycles as you have is as many erections you get in terms of, of your sleep and your dreaming stage. So the longer you sleep, the more cycles you have, the more erections you'll you'll get um over the course of the night. It doesn't necessarily mean it's an erotic dream. Yes, I think that's an important point. And that's something that a lot of people sort of mistakenly assume is that there's a connection between these erotic thoughts that we're having while we're sleeping, but that's yes. not the case. And there are lots of 
scientists who have proposed that maybe there's an evolutionary or other reason for why we get these erections during sleep. And maybe it's to promote health of those very important tissues. Because if you have atrophy or other issues with genital function, that's going to impair your ability to reproduce. And so it might make sense to have, let's say, you can call it a maintenance routine that happens every night while you're sleeping to ensure that the tissues stay healthy. Yeah, it's a good perspective. I love evolutionary perspectives um, in, in, in psychology as well. And there was one rela related to semen retention in females, and I can't remember the author's name, but essentially they were, they were finding it's like when you engage in sexual activity, you're, you're bonding. So if the, I don't know if it was the partner's more likely to stay with you that night, then you're more likely to retain the, the semen, and, and obviously the semen's more likely to be successful. Um, I can't remember the author's name. I don't know if you know that one, about that study. You, you're a social psychist. I think that's more on an evolutionary social perspective, right? So I'm not 100% sure if this is the study you're referring to, but there is an evolutionary theory I've heard about why women get sleepy after sex. And, and this is theorized to be a purpose of the female orgasm, which is that they'll get sleepy after sex, so they lay down, and that increases the odds that, yes, the, you won't have leakage of semen, that the body will retain it and increase the odds of pregnancy. So yes, I think we're talking about the same thing there. I can't remember exactly who proposed it, but yes, that's the semen retention theory of female orgasm. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and that's the hard thing about a lot of evolutionary theories is that intuitively there are things about them that make sense coming up with the research studies that can actually test them and say this is definitively like why this thing exists is a much harder thing to do so we always have to take some of these things with a grain of salt yeah it sounds like getting a sex and sleep study in the lab through an ethics committee at a university it's 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 almost a dream i mean this is the hard thing like do you know the specific time you had sex that resulted in pregnancy and did you have an orgasm and did you fall asleep afterwards that's a yes. lot of specific things you need to know which yes. would make that a bit more challenging to study but i did want to say one other thing about the nighttime erections that people experience that i think is a really important point which is that if you have a penis and you're no longer getting nighttime erections that is a sign that you have an organic or biological cause of erectile dysfunction. So they'll often do this test for men who come in with complaints of erectile dysfunction where they test to see, do you still get erections at night? And if you do, then that suggests that there's more of a psychosocial cause behind it. But if you don't get them at night, that suggests there's something going in the body. Maybe it's cardiovascular disease or something else. I think it's a ridgy skin they put on. Is that right? Yeah. They used to use like a, a tube over the shaft with water in it. And it was like, so then over the night, the water would expand and then they went to a metal thing to touch. And then it's like an evolution of these, these devices. Um, I think it's very important, important to, to know about that. If you're not getting erections during the night or you're not maybe waking up with an er erection, if you don't wake up with an erection, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not getting them throughout the night. You may not have woken up during your dreaming stage. So don't, I wouldn't overly panic about that, but obviously you can monitor it. 
So paying attention to those nighttime erections is very important. Now, I know this is not your main research area, but I'm curious as to whether you know anything about sex somnia, which is an uncommon sleeping disorder where people actually have sex while they're asleep. And this has made the news a lot recently because there have been some cases about this. It's this thing where somebody is asleep and having sex, and sometimes they're engaging in a non-consensual activity. Sometimes it's, you know, with a partner who doesn't mind, you know, it's not, so it's not always in that realm of sexual assault. But just curious, do we know anything about why this happens or how common it is? Yeah, I think it is uncommon. But the fact that there's one case or two cases, then it's an issue, right? So I'd be curious to know the prevalence of this being reported, but I definitely have heard of it. I definitely know that, like you mentioned, depending on what relationship you're in, and sometimes people might wake up and not even realize what they're doing. And I'm sure there's plenty of court cases that are, that are related to that. I think it's probably something that needs to be in, investigated. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not sure how, the only way I know how to potentially stop that is what they do with, with children with night terrors where you actually time an alarm according to before you get into that sleep cycle or, or that dreaming stage maybe or or you keep a journal as to when certain attacks happen and, and you're you're conscious of that so you're you're putting an alarm to anticipate that that event obviously that's it's going to cause sleep disruption as well because you're putting an alarm but that's what they do with children with night terrors is they try and time the night terror each night and they put the parents can put an alarm to anticipate that night terror to avoid that happening. But then again, you're disrupting the architecture of, of sleep, which is another issue that we can talk about. But. And it's a hard thing to study because this might happen to you and you might have no idea. And maybe your partner doesn't realize that you're asleep and maybe they're fine with it, right? So there could be a lot of these instances where it does happen and it just goes unrecognized or unreported. But then there's also the cases where it turns into sexual assault and that's a whole other matter. And in terms of dealing with this, you know, another issue is if you're somebody that you know experiences this, it might be sleeping in different bedrooms, having locks on the door so that you're not interfering with the sleep architecture, different ways to to sort of handle that. I've also read about some people who masturbate in their sleep, which seems like less of an issue in terms of the sexual assault things that we were just talking about. But it's just another example of how there's lots of interesting things that happen when people close their eyes and go to sleep at night. So you never know, you might be masturbating or doing something else. Now, we're running short on time, but I have one other question for you that I think is really important. And it seems from the research that having an active and satisfying sex life can improve our sleep, but also getting good sleep is important for maintaining active and satisfying sex lives. So do you have any tips you can share in terms of how to maximize these benefits? How can we have better sex and better sleep at the same time? Yeah, I think it, it pretty much goes back to what I was talking about before with, you know, I, from my perspective, because I come from a sleep perspective, is that sleep is a foundation of health. So I would try and maximize or make sleep a priority. And obviously for your partner, if you're involved in the relationship, then make sure their sleep is taken care of as well. So make that a priority for both 
the family or the couple. And I think if you if you do that, then the the sex and the sexual drive will be will be a lot better. So you know things like basic sleep hygiene, things like establishing a regular bedtime, removing electronic devices um, in bed, uh, dimming the lights. You know, thirty minutes before trying to even attempt to go to sleep, spend longer in bed, like I like I mentioned, um, just establishing you know a nighttime or a bedtime routine. I think that's really important to to trying to to maximize the amount of sleep you get. But if you make sleep a priority in your life, I think other things will will, will come a lot a lot easier. Right. So if you want to make sex a priority in your relationship, you have to make sleep a priority too. Right. I think that's a great way to think of it. And if you're having better sleep, you're probably going to be having better sex, and better sex is probably going to beget better sleep so it all goes in this nice little cycle and from what we've seen some some of those studies is that women are 14 percent more likely to engage in sexual activity the next day when they've slept an hour longer than than usual so i think that should go for both both partners let your partner sleep in and maybe bring them breakfast in bed too. I don't know. <laughs> just an idea. <laughs> and I'm not just putting a hint out there for my partner, but I would like breakfast in bed. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so thank you so much for this amazing conversation. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? Uh, I think if you can just go on to Google or Google Scholar and just type in my name. I have a Twitter account, which is called at SleepSide. And my emails are pretty much on all my publications as well, or they can probably get my email from you if anyone's got any questions or if anyone wants to do any research. We're starting to build the sex and sleep research field a little bit. And recently we're starting to get a bit of momentum and and trying to break down this taboo about sex and sleep. Well, I will put a link to your Google Scholar profile and to your Twitter in the show notes. And we thank you for doing this important work and for calling attention to just how important sleep is to our sex lives. So thank you again for being here and thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next